Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Generation, to lift up our hearts unto you, God, to bring you glory and honor and praise, to magnify the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to sing of the love that you brought to us by sending your Son, Jesus, that we might have life eternal. What a joy it is to gather in your name. We pray a blessing over this time, God. We pray that you would move over our hearts, that your spirit would mold and shape our lives, that you would conform us into your image once again, oh God. Lord, how desperately we need you. Fill our hearts with joy as we walk into this Thanksgiving week, Lord. May we truly be a people who live thankfully. We love you. We praise you. We pray a blessing over your word as it goes forth in power. In Jesus' name we pray. We're in Micah chapter 4 today, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. If you want to uh, be real studious, you can also grab Isaiah chapter 2, where actually, that is actually where we are going to start today. Are you ready? I'm not taking three chapters this time, so <laughs> slow the pace just a hair. I felt like I was running the entire time last week. I felt exhausted when we left, so get through three chapters, but back when we were studying 1 Peter chapter 1, one of the themes of 1 Peter that I wanted to us to grab a hold on to was that God instills a living hope into those who follow him. One of the blessings that you and I receive by being followers of Jesus Christ is that we have this living hope in time inside of us. In times of despair, in times of trouble, our God gives us a hope that produces peace in our life. I want us to hold on to that, especially as we're considering the story of Micah. Micah is a prophet. What's the role of a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God to the people. And he was bringing a message of judgment, and that's what we read last week. The people of Israel were in sin. What was their sin? Idolatry. They had taken anything else and placed it in God's proper spot. That's what idolatry is, is to take the spot that is reserved for God and God alone in our hearts and place anything else, any created thing in that spot. That's sin. That's idolatry. And the judgment of God was coming uh, because of this. And the form of God's judgment was the Assyrian army. They were going to invade into Jerusalem, or into Israel to the north, uh, carry away the captives, and even, even invade into the south, into Judah. And if you'll recall the story, they come up to the neck of Jerusalem. They... they they are prepared to battle against Jerusalem and take the whole of Israel, the whole of Judah, and even Jerusalem. And that's when God intervenes and sends an angel of the Lord, an angel, uh, a God. He is the God of the angel armies. He sends an angel, and the angel kills 185,000 Assyrians in one night. God intervenes on their behalf. But that's the judgment that God is bringing, is this Assyrian army. And one thing I want us to make sure we understand is that God's judgment was just. The P 
people of God had sinned and earned this wage, just like we earn our wages. Romans chapter 6 would say, the wages of sin is what? Yeah. Is death. We, we earn that wage. It's just. God is just in His ways. We have earned that. And His judgment here on the people of Israel was just as well. Yet, in the midst of this judgment, what we're going to see today is this glimmer of hope the hope like First Peter talks about, a glimmer of hope from God as well. In the midst of his judgment, he is also loving, and he is also kind, and God is always offering a way back. Um, last week we said if we were to break the book of Micah into different groups, chapters 1 through 3 would be pronouncing grievous retribution. Again, I didn't come up with this alliteration. This is uh, John Corson, so you can blame him. Pronouncing grievous retribution, chapters 4 and 5, what we'll cover today, promising glorious restoration. So in the midst of judgment, there is a way back. That's the idea, promising glorious rest restoration. I want us to see Isaiah chapter 2, just three verses. And I actually want you to lay eyes on it if you have it handy, um, just so you can see this. It's kind of neat. We're going to start in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 2. We're just going to read it. Okay, ready? Ready? Okay. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people, and shall beat their swords into plowshares, or they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay? Just tuck that away. Put it in your storage bank. Now flip over to Micah chapter 4. And let me read. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on, top, on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> it's almost identical. There are a couple places where Isaiah would say people and Micah would say nations, and Isaiah would or Micah would say people and Isaiah would say nations. That's really the only difference. Other than that, it is identical between Isaiah chapter two and Micah chapter 4. So the question is, did Isaiah copy Micah, 
Or did Micah copy Isaiah? We know, we learned last week, that they're contemporaries. They prophesied at the same time. And so was this a little bit of holy plagiarism here, that, that one was stealing from the other, that they were, they were copying off of one another? And when Isaiah wrote that out, Micah said, oh, man, that's good. That would, that would work on a coffee mug. I'm going to steal that. And so he puts it in. I mean, that's what we do. You know, um, I heard from my favorite commentator this week, uh, Joe Foch over Calvary Chapel over Philadelphia. And he said, um, he said, if you uh, if you copy twelve people, or if you copy one person, it's plagiarism. But if you copy twelve people, it's research. So I, I just I like that. So that maybe Micah was you know just copying Isaiah here. It was a little bit of holy plagiarism. I don't know. Or how about this? Rather than saying, well, this guy copied this guy, or this guy copied this guy, and see, you can't really trust the Bible because they were just copying off of each other just to get their message straight. How about this? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You guys know it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scriptures God breathed, it would say in the New International Version. Yes, we have many different authors that penned the letters of the Bible, but they were all inspired by the same God. So is it beyond imagination that God would give two of the prophets in the, in the land the same exact message? Is it beyond the, the power of God to give them a word-for-word -word message that they would record separately, perhaps not even knowing? No, certainly God could do that. And I believe, in fact, has done that. It makes perfect sense that their message would overlap. Now, let's look at what they actually said. Micah says, in the latter days, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and, and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. When prophets prophesy, it's almost as if they are unable to distinguish what time they're prophesying about. They see the future, but are unable to fully distinguish between, is this the near future, or is this the latter days? It's almost as if God takes the cover off of all of time. For, and allows the prophet to see into that tunnel of time and see the entirety of it, and they pull back messages that refer to different times. This, he's saying, in the latter days, the days at the end of time, the days that are, are coming later, the latter days. He's speaking of the millennial kingdom, the time when Jesus is going to return to earth to rule and to reign for a thousand years. We believe that's part of the prophecies yet to be fulfilled after the rapture of the church, that Christ will come uh, and fulfill other prophecies given of him when he will come to reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. It says, The mountain of the, house, uh, mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. We know from Zechariah chapter 14 that when Christ returns, the topography of Israel is going to change. Right? It says in, in, in Zechariah chapter 14 that when he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in two. 
and it will split from east to west and it will move from north to south creating a large valley and so the topography that perhaps that's what Micah is talking about here how the topography of Jerusalem was going to change when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives that the mountain will rise up but Micah speaking of the mountains could also refer to the governments of the world and we get the idea that in prophecy, when mountains are mentioned, it has a parallel to governments from Daniel chapter 2. I'll let you study that on your own, but Daniel chapter 2 establishes this idea in prophecy that mountains can refer to governments. And so if you read what he says with that in mind, it, it flows well. That the mountain, the government of the Lord's house shall be established on top of all the other governments. It's God's rule. It's God's reign. And he shall be exalted above the hills. It will, it, Christ will have entire uh, power over all the earth. He will come with his authority and all nations will bow down to that authority. And one of the titles of Christ is the Prince of Peace. And so when he comes, the world will see global peace for the first time since the fall of man. The world will see global peace since the first time since the fall of man. Verse 2, I don't know about you, but I grab a hold of verse 2 and it gets me excited. As soon as I... Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. That gets me excited. You and I, in the millennial reign, we assume, I assume that planes will still work in the millennial reign, will be able to hop a plane to Jerusalem, go and sit in Jerusalem, and have Jesus teach us the Bible. He will teach us his ways. I appreciate that you guys come and listen to me week after week. I'm not sure why you do it, but I'm glad you keep coming back and you're invited to keep coming back. But there's a day coming when all of us together will be like, Chris, shut up. You know, just, just sit down, shut up, and let's go listen to Jesus. Let's, let's hop a plane. Let's have Jesus teach us the Bible. And I'll be like, right on. That will be amazing. Verse 3, he will judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations far off. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Sound familiar? We've heard this verse before. Actually, a very famous place has this verse printed on their building. Anybody know where? Yeah, very good. The UN in New York. This, this verse is printed on the UN in New York. Well, correction, the part of this verse is printed on the UN. It actually begins, on the, the, on the, you can look it up on Google, the part that they put on was, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What's the purpose of the UN? Why was the UN created? They were there put together for peacekeeping. I don't know about you, but they're not doing a very good job in my humble opinion. <laughs> they aren't the greatest peacekeepers. Somebody was telling me that um, the, the peacekeeping um, army that stands between like Israel and Jordan 
was when, oh, it was Joe Foch. Joe Foch told this story. When he went to Israel, he went and visited the peacekeeping troops in between, I think it was um, Israel and Jordan. It was one Switzerland military guy, one guy, standing in a, like a telephone booth. <laughs> that, was, that was the entire entourage of the peacekeeping people in the UN. And, and so they asked him, what happens if war breaks out? He's like, I go home. <laughs> I'm out of here. So they, according to the scripture we read here, the part that they left out, it's not their job to keep peace anyway. It's his job. He will judge. It's only Jesus who can bring peace to the world. Right? That's what the first part of the verse says. He shall judge between many peoples. Not the UN. He will. God will. And rebuke na strong nations afar off. I don't know about you, but I think about the United States of America when I read that. The United States of America is a strong nation that is afar off from Jerusalem. Geographically. Perhaps he will rebuke us as well. He should rebuke us as well. But in that time, peace will overall reign. He's the only one who can bring peace into the world. Do we understand? Do we agree with that? He's the only one that can bring peace. Think of it this way. If it's true that a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way personally that I can have peace in my life, then doesn't it make sense that the only way the world can have peace, which the world is made up of individuals, is to have him present in life as well? Doesn't that make sense? So... If we're going to have peace in an individual's life, then we can also extend that to say that the only hope for peace in the world is when Jesus is here. And that's exactly what will happen. Consider, consider how governments will change when we get rid of defense budgets. That's what he's saying there. When we're beating, when we're beating swords and, and spears into, um, uh, what is it, plow plowshares and pruning hooks, when we're, when we're taking our defense budget and turning it into agriculture, the defense budget for the United States of America in 2017, $826 billion. <coughs> Imagine that money going to feeding the poor and caring for the world. The humanitarian effort behind just those dollars alone is staggering. That's what will be able to happen when Christ comes to rule and reign peace will truly be found on this earth, and all will be taken care of. All will be cared for. Verse 4 says, But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts, that's the term, the God of the angel armies, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. It's a picture of peace. Everyone will experience peace. The world will have peace, and that will trickle down to every single human being, each one. That's a, a term of peace, to sit under your vine and under his fig tree. In the south, it would be you'd sit on your front porch with a sweet tea. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Peace. For all the people of the, or all the people will walk, sorry, for all people will walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Interesting. Even in the millennial kingdom, when Christ is ruling and reigning, men will have a choice on whom they worship. God is not coming in a dictatorship to determine that everyone will worship him in that time. 
But those follow, who follow Jesus, you and I, will experience great blessing and peace in those days. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That's a beautiful, comforting statement. Verse 6, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. The remnant that was going to return after the Assyrians took them captive, after the Babylonians took Judah captive, the remnant that would return to Israel wasn't just made up of the strongest and the best. God wasn't just picking the cream of the crop to return as the remnant. God doesn't pick the cream of the crop for his team. Look around. A little humility check. God does not pick the cream of the crop for his team. It took me a minute to find this this morning, but Paul says it. He doesn't pull any punches when he says it either. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many are wise according to the flesh. Not many of you are mighty. Not many are noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Even in the Old Testament, in this promise of a remnant coming back, God was saying, I'm not looking for just the strong. I'm not looking for just the mighty and the rest of you. Can, will, will leave behind. He says in this promise, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast. His doors are open wide. Verse 8, And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. In the midst of this Assyrian judgment, in the midst of the people being held captive in a foreign land, it would have been difficult for them to hold on to this promise that a remnant would come out of this, that good could come from bad. When you're walking through a trial of life, don't you experience that yourself? To say, God, what on earth are you doing here? What, what, why am I going through this? And you, you find difficulty finding joy in the midst of trial. The judgment would be the same way for the people of God. And this verse, verse 8, is a reassurance for them, and in like mind, a, a, an assurance for us as well to hold on to. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem, to you it shall come. When God says it, that settles it. God is more trustworthy than the, what is it, the FDIC? Is that what backs the banks, right? You know? God's more trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. Well, yeah, well, the bank can be robbed. <laughs> you know? Well, you can take it to God. God's far more trustworthy than even the bank. Verse 9. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. 
and to Babylon you should go. That's interesting. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. What God is saying in these verses is, prior to their glorious deliverance, the nation of Israel was going to go through some pain, similar to childbirth. Prior to delivery, there is pain. I haven't experienced that personally. My wife tells me it is true. <laughs> so, but they, so God is saying that's what they needed to walk through. But there in verse 10, the interesting part to me is, and to Babylon you shall go. Now we know Israel to the north went with the Assyrian army, who was the power of the day. We know that about a hundred years after Micah says these things, the nation to the south, Judah, does in fact become captive of the nation of Babylon. But when Micah says it, a hundred years before it happens, to Babylon you shall go? At this point, when Micah says this, Babylon is a village. Babylon is, is essentially unheard of. It would be like you and I saying in this day and age, hey, United States of America, Latvia is coming to take over you. You'd be like, what? The, Rhode Island is going to take over the United States of America. That's the idea here. That, that would be what was said. But in God's foreknowledge, he knew the Assyrian army would dwindle. He knew the power of Assyria would fall by the wayside, and Babylon would become the greatest empire that the world had seen to that day. And it was the Babylonians that would come in and take them captive. It's interesting to me, a hundred years before he says it, it comes, it's going to come to fruition. Now also many nations have gathered against you, not just Babylon, who says, let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, I will make you strong. You shall beat in pieces many pieces, peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Though nations will stand against Israel, God will stand for them. And God plus anybody is a majority. He will have no more trouble with the enemies of Israel than a farmer has with sheaves on the threshing floor. That's what he says. Sheaves don't put up a whole lot of fight. When God establishes Zion, and I just wanted to define that. He, he, we've been talking about Zion as we've read over the past couple of weeks. Zion is the perfected state of the nation of Israel. It is the utopian state of Israel. When God establishes Zion in that millennial reign, he will do so in strength. He'll make their horn iron. That's a, a symbol of strength. He'll make their hooves bronze and beat in pieces many peoples. He will do so in strength. Now gather yourself in troops, verse 1 of 5. O daughter of troops, he has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Again, prior to restoration, pain was going to come. 
and even that is at the hand of God. He has laid siege against us. This is God's doing to bring this judgment upon the nation of Israel. And the response is, they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. That's an interesting line to me. Jesus was struck many times, the judge of Israel was struck many times during his trial before his crucifixion. Fulfilling this, they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Now verse 2 should sound somewhat familiar, especially as we head into the holiday season. I mentioned it last week. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, capital O, to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. This is a prophecy probably you're familiar with. They put it on a uh, Christmas card every year, it seems like, of where the Messiah was going to be born. You, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem was a common name for towns in Israel at the time. Bethlehem, anybody know what it means? House of bread. House of bread. Beth is house. House of bread. Bethlehem. And it was, so it was a common name in those days. And so they distinguished by having a second name. And Micah gets very specific here to not just say, well, Bethlehem is going to bring forth the Messiah. Because that could be questioned. No, he says Bethlehem Ephrathah, a very specific one. So then the question becomes, well, what does Ephrathah mean? I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. I actually, I, Spurgeon told me, not like face to face, but I read what Spurgeon said. <laughs> Ephrathah means fruitfulness. So it's the bread that bears fruit. From the city of the bread that bears fruit shall come forth the Messiah. Remember his words in John chapter 6? I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Fulfilling even the name of the town in which he was born. They were little among the thousands, and yet hardly without note until Micah puts them on the map saying, this is where Messiah shall be born. It was the city of David. It was where King David was born as well. And he's coming from the line of David. But he fulfills this prophecy by being born in Bethlehem. The line I want us to hold on to there in verse 2 that I just find amazing is, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. That's a rich statement that I would encourage you to savor this week. Dwell on that verse for this week. Speaking of the Messiah, his going forths are from old, from everlasting. It speaks of the eternality of Jesus. That Jesus didn't just roll on the scene when he was born as a baby in the manger. That he was always, that he always was. There was never, or there never was a time that Jesus did not exist. Think about that for a while. There never was a time that Jesus did not exist. Whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. I just love considering the attributes of God dwelling on those things. It's uh, fulfilling. Verse 3, Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. 
Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Again, holding on to the overall theme of what we're reading throughout the book of Micah, judgment is coming. You've earned that judgment, but there is always an opportunity to return unto me. Always with the, me measure, always with the message of judgment, there comes an opportunity for restoration. You see it throughout the book of Isaiah. You see it here in Micah as well. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. Now, For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. He shall stand and feed his flock. The word feed there is the word ra'ah, R-A apostrophe A-H. And it means to shepherd. And it's the same word that is used in Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Same word used there. I shall not want. He will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory. He shall provide for his people. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for us. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. And this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian, speaking of someone specific here, when the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he treads in our places, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. We know that Assyria would be the instrument of God's judgment against the nation of Israel. And so this is speaking specifically of that. When the Assyrian comes, when he who is reigning in Assyria comes to invade the land, there will be a pushback that God will defend them eventually. A remnant will come back. But we can also understand this term, the Assyrian, to mean any who would stand against God's people. And specifically... Perhaps the Antichrist here, speaking of the Antichrist, when the Assyrian comes into our land, reading into the end times, the abomination of desolation that will take place when the third temple is rebuilt. It's interesting to watch all that's happening in Israel these days. And by, by no means am I expert, and an expert in um, eschatology, the study of the end times. I'm not an expert in that. But... There is groups of Jewish people who are very serious about rebuilding the temple on the Temple Mount. And that's pretty significant because we know that in the end times, sacrifices are going to be restored. And in order for sacrifices to be restored, there has to be a place for them to offer sacrifices. Um, you can go to thetempleinstitute.org, and uh, it's a, a group of, of Hebrews that have come together to get things ready for when they can move forward. They're not permitted to rebuild at this point, but they have been putting resources together, money, finances. They've been preparing to have the plan, or they have the plans, but to, to build the, the various utensils that would go in the altar. They're just waiting for the right time. And so as you, we watch these things unfold, it is, it is very interesting to me. So rabbit trail there. Verse 7. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like the dew 
from the Lord like showers on the grass. The remnant shall be in the midst of many peoples. He says, um, like the dew from the Lord, like the showers on the grass that tarry for no man nor wait for the sons of men. We know that when Jerusalem fell in 70 AD at the hand of the Romans, the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth. Just, uh, you know, to, just dispersed throughout the whole of the land. And for 1900 years, they were a nomadic people. First of all, how does a people survive for 1,900 years without a place to call home? It's only by the hand of God. It's miraculous that the Jews would still be around, that they would be able to trace their lineage as they are able to do today is, is mind-boggling. It is evident that God's hand is on their life. But for 1,900 years, until 1948, when Israel was reestablished, the, the, the Hebrew people were nomadic. They didn't have a home. But since then, since Israel has been reestablished, we see people flooding back to the land, to the nation. And in fact, as we grow closer to the return of Christ, we are seeing an increase of people uh, migrating to the land of Israel. As we approach the return of Christ, there's even a greater return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. So, fulfilling this verse, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. They were dispersed like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. I can't read that and not think of a song that I sang in a choir when I was in high school. I don't know why. Every time I read that this week, it popped into my head, this song. It's actually from 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. I hear the song in my head as I'm, you don't want me to sing it though, I don't, never mind. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. But this is refreshingness uh, the, of God, the, the, the idea that he, he brings refreshing with him like a morning without clouds, like tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Back in high school, I could sing first tenor. And that got me, that's like the highest male voice. My, my voice didn't change for a long time. That got me into pretty much any choir I wanted to be in because there was always a shortage of first tenors. What was cool about that song, and, and I'll, you know, if you're interested, I'll post a link to it, well, there was a part in that song, it was eight-part harmony, first, second soprano, first, second alto, first, second tenor, first, second bass, eight-part harmony throughout the entirety of the song, singing that scripture, I'm going on a rabbit trail, but I don't care, um, singing that part. So there were like four of us in this choir of 250 people, first tenors, and at the end of the song, there's this beautiful moving line of hallelujahs, you know, uh, you know, you have the, the melody by the sopranos and a counter melody by the altos, and it's just this beautiful movement that's just probably the best thing I've ever sung in voice. It was just amazing. And toward the end of that movement, there's this one spot where seven parts drop out, except the first tenors. And they're holding this note. And there's this liberty in the music where the conductor can just say, we can hold this note as long as we want to. I just remember 250 voices, this magnificent sound, and all of a sudden, four young men singing this one note, and it felt like an eternity. 
And Ohio is like, I'm gonna pass out. <laughs> and then the and then the music moves on. It was just beautiful. And so when I read of this, when I read the scripture, I, is there any point? Probably not. Other than to say, <laughs> I get this grand image of the glory of God and the splendor of His Majesty and the refreshing that comes. And 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 the idea would be that. Even in the midst of the trial, we can hold on to the hope that there is a remnant that God is chasing after. And to that remnant, he will bring refreshing, and he will bring and pour over his joy over them. And, and it should bring us peace. I guess that's what I get from it. Is bring, I couldn't even quantify that earlier today. It was just like, but it brings me peace to think of those things. Take it or leave. Verse 8. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, who, if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. When God delivers the Hebrew people, it will not be in weakness. Though he pulls the lame, Though he, he gathers the weak unto him, he will not deliver them in weakness, but in strength. What kind of strength? Like a lion among sheep. Put a lion and a sheep in the same room, which would you rather be? No, so. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images, that's the, that's the issue here, idolatry, your carved images I will also cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst, that's, I will, thus I will destroy your cities. And I, and I will execute vengeance and the anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. To sum up, the intent and the purpose of the judgment leveled against Israel was to turn their hearts away from their idolatry and back to proper worship of God. It's even in the judgment that God is lovingly wooing them to get things right. And the result of the judgment would be a true cleansing of the people and their ways. When we read of the return in the book of Nehemiah, and especially when we read of it in Ezra, it's a beautiful picture when Ezra stands, they have, he has the choir on both sides of him, and he stands on this erected stage, and he begins to read the Word of God, something that hadn't been read in the land for a very long time. And as he's reading the Word over the people, they begin to weep because they've seen the error of their ways. They've seen the idolatry and what it's done to their lives. They see the necessity of the judgment that had come. And they weep over it. And when we see that, we see that God's effect has taken place. The desired effect that God wanted to have among his people was exacted. 
there is a true worship once again when we read of it in Ezra. So what's our takeaway for today as we close up? Four things. One, even in judgment, there's a restoration. Even when God is correcting us, it's for our benefit, and always there's a way to return to repent unto him. Two, God's plans are perfectly exacted. When Micah said that Judah was going to go to Babylon, they said, Babylon who? What? The village of Sunbury is going to take over Columbus? What? God's plans are perfectly exacted. The third thing I want us to take away from today, let's dwell on the eternality of Jesus. There never was a time where he wasn't around. And in the foreknowledge of God, he knew that we would betray him, and yet he still sent Jesus to love us. And the fourth thing, the return of the king brings peace. When he comes to rule and to reign from Jerusalem, the world will experience peace for the first time since the fall. If we hold on to those things and dwell on the eternity, eternality of Jesus as we head into Thanksgiving week, I think we can find plenty to be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for all that we can read in your word. I thank you for the similarity uh, between Micah's prophecy and Isaiah's prophecy, Lord. To me, it's evidence of your hand at work. I thank you for the way that your prophecies were perfectly fulfilled and are yet to be fulfilled, Lord. We can trust that you will fill them, fulfill them. I pray, Father, that we as your people would worship you in spirit and in truth. And if we struggle with idolatry in our own lives today, right now, if we have placed something in your spot in our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would repent and that we would worship you in spirit and truth for you are the bread of life. I pray as we head into a, a busy holiday season, Lord, in the midst of all the craziness and hustle and bustle, Lord, we would pause and reflect on how you always have been and how you always will be. And I pray that our praise as we sang this morning would ever be on our lips. That we would forever worship you. Set a song in our hearts, Lord. Bring that refreshing and comfort. Bring the peace that you bring and, and, and the hope that comes with knowing you. We love you, we praise you, and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.